Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, where we bring you engaging conversations about wildlife conservation issues from all across the globe. Hurricane Maria was the worst storm to hit Puerto Rico in over 80 years, arriving only two weeks after Hurricane Irma passed just north of the island. The effects of these storms on Puerto Rican families and the island's infrastructure will take many years to heal. The effect on the wildlife inhabiting this island was also, not surprisingly, equally devastated. When the Peregrine Fund's team of biologists surveyed the population of Puerto Rican sharp-shinned hawks in 2017, they found 75 birds comprising 16 pairs breeding in four locations on the island. Following hurricanes Irma and Maria, the population was down to just 19 individual birds. Nearly 75% of the subspecies was lost. Matt Podolsky sat down with Russell Thurstrom at the Peregrine Fund to learn more about this discovery and the actions being taken to prevent the species from blinking out. My name's Russell Thorstrom. I work for the Peregrine Fund. Uh, I've been working for the Peregrine Fund for 25 years. I first started working for them in 1988 uh, with the Maya Project in Guatemala. And uh, since then, I've worked in Madagascar in the Caribbean region, uh, a little bit in South America, too. So, um, I mean, maybe we can take a moment to just talk about the species itself, the Puerto Rican sharpshin hawk. You know? Yeah, the, the Puerto Rican sharpshin hawk is, uh, the scientific name is Ocipiter striatus venator. It's a subspecies of the sharpshin hawk. And there's uh, about eight known subspecies of sharpshin hawks. We have one in North America. Uh, and then we in the in the Caribbean region, there's three island forms. There's one in Cuba, one in Hispaniola, and one in Puerto Rico. And these uh, island forms are non-migratory. Uh, they we collected some uh, feather samples and some blood samples. And feather samples we had analyzed by a geneticist, and he estimated the Puerto Rican sharpshin hawk. It's a sister species to the North American subspecies, but it's it's been separated for 1.3 million years. So it's on the way to being its own uh, taxa, being unique. It's it's unique right now, Uh, but we're waiting for the blood work to be done because it'll give us more robust idea if it's actually a unique species or not. But right now it's it's critically endangered by Puerto Rican uh, state government. It's endangered by U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And I suspect that the other two island forms in Hispaniola and especially in Cuba, I was in Cuba in July for a couple of weeks and the biologists there there's a never, another occipiter uh, called the Gunlox hawk that is considered endangered, but the sharpshin hawk in Cuba is even rarer than this uh, larger occipiter, and so I I suspect these island forms are are very rare. They're they're in the mountains. Very little's known about them. Uh, nests have been never been described for the Cuban one, and very few nests for the Hispaniola one. But the Puerto Rican is probably the best known of all of the island taxa. And just to give you an idea, uh, the Cuban kite is related to the hookbill kite, 
and it's a unique species, and it diverged from the hook-billed kite over a million years ago. So this is highly suggestive that these Caribbean island forms, especially the Puerto Rican form that we have, DNA tissue, and have had it sequenced, that, you know, it, it's a good chance it's its own unique species. Gotcha. And that, I mean, it's really interesting. And I mean, I think that's something that probably a lot of folks don't don't, don't realize yeah. is that like, you know, it's, uh, there's a lot of gray area between like this, you know, official designation as its own distinct species versus just a subspecies. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's heading towards that direction. It's been isolated long enough. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, it, it's unique right now, let's say. Uh, and, and, you know, very little, as I mentioned, is known about the Cuban form or the Hispaniola form. We've got a little more uh, hands-on with the uh, the Hispaniola form because we're, you know, got this big project in Dominican Republic with the Ridgeway's hawk. So we're also looking at the, uh, the uh, Cipeter over there. And so, yeah, it, it's, you know, as... as it all depends on um, habitat, and if there's habitat available, these island forms will, you know, definitely hang out in the, the habitat that they're uh, adapted to. But the, there's no. What's interesting about the Puerto Rican form, and I would probably say for these other uh, island forms, is there doesn't seem to be movement between the forests. The forest, these forests are on the top of the mountain ranges. And they're separated by 12 to 30 kilometers apart. And birds that were banded in the late 70s, early 80s, there was no movement at all between the forest reserves. And the birds we banded in 2016, we've seen no movement between these forest reserves. So these forest reserves are like islands themselves on an island. And uh, there's probably a lot of inbreeding, you know, because they're they're not moving between these uh, forest reserves. And that explains why in El Yunque, why they disappeared during Noel's time and nothing has repopulated that area because there's no movement dispersal from these forest reserves. Right. So it, it just shows you how, you know, dire the situation is, especially when Hurricane Maria came through and just knocked out the forest. And I'm sure that some of the individuals in the forest probably got killed during Maria too, with the winds and all the debris flying around. So it's definitely, you know, a very critical situation. And, you know, the Paragon Fund is, we're going to try to do what we can with our resources uh, to try to save this unique island taxa. There was a graduate student, a guy named Julio Gallardo. Uh, he's working on his graduate degree, his doctorate, I should say from Mississippi State University and uh, let's see 2012 is when he began his field work and he was going around to certain points in Puerto Rico uh, working on the Puerto Rican sharpshin hawk detecting them presence absence and the red tail hawk because the red tail hawk's down there too a resident red tail hawk and during his two years there he had very few sightings of Puerto Rican sharpshin hawks Historically, uh, there were surveys done in the late 70s, early 80s, and another survey done in the 90s. And in the late 70s, 80s, they had 250, 240 birds, 250 birds that they estimated were on the island. In the 
90s, uh, the estimate was right around 130 birds. And so Julio, during his time, had very few sightings, and he was really concerned. And that's when he approached the Peregrine Fund in 2014. You know, are you guys interested in the Puerto Rican sharpshin hawk and uh, trying to find out what's going on with it? And that's when I went down in, uh, let's see, it was December 2014, met with Julio, went around uh, to the sites where Puerto Rican sharpshins or hawks are at. And they're found from 400 meters up to the highest point in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico reaches 1,300 meters elevation. That's the highest point. And so 2015, we started our first field season. And from there, we found eight nesting pairs. Uh, the Puerto Rican sharpshin hawk is known from five mountain ranges in Puerto Rico, from the northeast section of the island called El Yonque, which is actually a national forest, to another forest called Carite, Toro Negro, Gilarte, and Maricao. And Maricao was where all the information was known about the Puerto Rican sharpshin hawk. And during that time, there was a doctoral student that did his study at Delanois, Carlos Delanois, and he had like 16 territorial pairs in this Maricao forest. When we were there in 2015, we only had two pairs there. Uh, Carlos had a, during his study period, bot flies were a real issue uh, for the nestlings, uh, sort of similar to what we're doing in Dominican Republic with the Ridgeway's hawk. Uh, bot flies are an issue there. And so of the eight pair that we found in 2015, we only had one incidence of bot flies. So something else is also going on. Uh, there's a pearly-eyed thrasher that's a known predator on eggs and nestlings. And it seems like, according to some, uh, you know, ornithologists in Puerto Rico, that the pearly-eyed thrasher is moving up into the mountain ranges and getting up to the higher levels where the Puerto Rican sharpshin hawks are nesting. And then there's been loss of habitat in some of these mountain ranges. And... Um, uh, so you got bot flies, habitat, uh, the pearly-eyed thrasher, and then occasionally, you know, there's storms that come through and uh, nestlings uh, will die from not being able to thermoregulate when there's this real heavy rains. So 2015, we had eight uh, nesting pair. 2016, we had 12. And then last year, 2017, we had... Uh, 18 nesting uh, attempts. So we had, you know, we were starting to get a good handle on. And the, the best breeding population was based in Toro Negro, which is the center of the country. Maricao, we had four pairs over there. In Gilarte, we had one pair, but we had no pairs in El Yonque. And El Yonque is a place where a uh, Jim Wiley, who was a well-known Caribbean biologist, and Noel Schneider, was a well-known biologist for Puerto Rican parrots and California condors. And they had nesting pairs of Puerto Rican sharpshin hawks in the 70s when they were doing Puerto Rican parrot work. And now there's no birds at all present in El Yunque Forest. And most likely uh, it was a combination of these things that wiped them out from El Yunque. And so right now, sharpshin hawks are only found in Toro Negro, uh, Gilarte, and Maricao.
And as people know, Puerto Rico was hit by two hurricanes. Um, there was Irma that was just to the north of it uh, that affected San Juan. And then uh, there was Maria who came right through the center of the country. And they estimated sustained winds 150 miles an hour with gusts up to 185 on the mountaintop ridges. And these mountaintop ridges are the breeding habitat for the Puerto Rican sharpshin hawk. And I'm, you know, when I went there in January uh, with Julio, we went to the sites where we knew sharpshin hawks were at. We started surveying and we were not seeing any sharpshin hawks at all above the forest. So we hiked into the nesting sites. And in the nesting sites where we had these birds, the forests were just level. Nest trees were snapped in half or uprooted. The whole, you know, these exposed uh, mountaintop forests were just totally leveled. And it was just, you know, just amazing to try to walk through the forest. A couple of sites would take 20 to 30 minutes to walk. Walking through it now with all the wood, all the debris on the forest floor, two hours to two and a half hours because you're constantly climbing over trees to get to the these uh, nesting sites. The, the good thing is we did find 19 birds. Uh, we and Most of the birds we found were over in Marikau, which was less affected by or impacted by the hurricane. Gilarte, there were a few more uh, downfalls in trees, but Toro Negro was just totally, you know, knocked down. And we only have one known pair right now that looks like they're nesting in Toro Negro, whereas Marikau, we have three pair that are actually the first eggs were laid April 1st, which is uh, last week. And uh, the female has two eggs. And the Paragon Fund is looking to do some hands-on management of the species, basically going in there, pulling the eggs, uh, hatching the eggs, and then either starting a captive flock or releasing the birds back into other areas where we see that, you know, that habitat is available to put the birds back into. Toro Negro, the forest that got hit the hardest and impacted the worst, uh, it's going to take a while for that forest to regenerate. So uh, we're not exactly sure. We're going to be working for with uh, Fish and Wildlife there and with the, uh, the Natural Resource Department, the state government, uh, for reforestation of Toro Negro and just trying to understand how we could bring the the sharpshin hawk population back up. So clearly, this is you know uh, an animal, whether it's a, a species or a subspecies, right? Like that um, has been threatened for for quite a while and was yeah. in trouble even before these hurricanes came through. Um, I mean, I, I guess I'm trying to get a sense of like. Um, you know, how dramatic of an impact the hurricane was, was? you know, I mean, cause you, you talked about sort of individual pairs that mm -hmm. you were aware of and monitoring in different parts of the Island. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, do, do those pairs, I mean, did, did you know at the time that those pairs represented like all the animals? Like what was the population well, the, before the hurricane? Yeah. Before the hurricane. Well, in 2015, uh, when we were there surveying, we came up with uh, 35 individuals okay. uh, between uh, four, four forest reserves. Um, 
in 2016, we came up with 50, I think it was 52 individuals. And then 2017, we counted 75 birds. Of course, you know, there's some areas we can't get into and we, we, you know, the habitat's right. There's got to be birds in there. So uh, I estimate around 100 birds. Uh, 2018 of this year, January and February, we were there for a month and a half, and we could only come up with 19 individuals in those same areas that we had 75 birds that we counted in 2017. So that's 75% population decrease uh, from 2017 to uh, 2018. Wow. So maybe you can give me a sense of like what your mindset was, you know, when you went to Puerto Rico in January to mm-hmm. do this new population assessment. I mean, you knew, uh, I'm sure you had heard quite a bit about the destruction that, that Hurricane Maria had caused on mm-hmm. the island. Um, I mean, you know, what was going through your mind, you know, when you're on the airplane heading towards Puerto Rico? I mean, did you anticipate on any level such a dramatic decline? And and then I'm also curious, like, once you arrived there and, and actually saw the destruction firsthand, like, what, what your reaction was to it? Yeah, you know, first first heading there, uh, the thought was, you know, trying to find how many birds we could find to see, you know, how the population survived. And then once we got there and just saw the impact on the forest, all the uprooted trees, all the snap trees, all the trees, the debris along the roads and uh, the houses in the mountains, people, uh, the rain and wind tore off sheet metal roofs. So the the humans, all their furniture and, and beds and all the uh, debris that they had pulled out of their houses and stuck along the sides of the roads, which just, it was just, you know, appalling just how, how severe this hurricane had been. And I, I couldn't imagine, you know, much uh, as far as wildlife surviving some of these areas where we had birds before. It's just uh, it's just hard to see. Uh, it, you need to phys- you know visually see a, a picture the sh- the see the the down trees or the dead trees you know in the forest because once it was green throughout the whole area now there were so many dead trees just the stripped leaves the leaves stripped off the trees and branches and it just looked like uh you know just a dead forest uh, like you see with you know, uh, our pine forests here, when the, the pine park beetles, you know, kill trees, you see, it, it's very similar t- to that situation, just a swath of, of dead trees. But, you know, in Puerto Rico, there are down trees to just uprooted trees. And the thing that is interesting is tree ferns and palm trees being more flexible than a deciduous tree survived the hurricanes, even though like palm trees were stripped, they were still standing. And it's unfortunate that, well, palm trees are part of the successional stage of going to back to a mature forest. And there's uh, palm trees everywhere now. They're just, you know, standing out because there's no deciduous trees left standing. Yeah, yeah, it was just it was just, you know, amazing to see that change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's just. Uh, you know, I mean, we've, we've heard so much about this hurricane and, and the destruction that it's caused, but it's always within the context of, you know, the human suffering that it caused, yeah, yeah. which is obviously really dramatic and horrible. But, you know, as you said, you know, to, to also think about 
the destruction that it's caused for ecosystems yep. for you know native wildlife there yeah um so i mean maybe you can talk about like you know i, I i'm just trying to figure out like you know were was this a huge surprise to you know ultimately find out that you know, you had seen, as you said, like a 75% decline in, in the population. Like, were you expecting that given what you saw? No, I wasn't really expecting it because, you know, we had heard reports that the habitat had been hard hit. But, you know, once we got into the area, uh, it, it, it it sort of, uh, you uh, you understand how, you know, it's strong winds and hurricanes, how much they affect these islands. And so there seems to be, uh, I don't, you know, in the last few years, more of these prevalent, super strong storms, hurricanes hitting the islands. And, you know, granted, these Caribbean islands have been impacted by hurricanes throughout their their time period. Uh, and you would uh, expect the animals in the habitat to be sort of used to that but when you're dealing with such a a small island and a very limited habitat uh, these birds are breeding above 800 meters and that amount of habitat is just over one percent of the whole island so that shows you that the habitat is very limited for this uh, unique island taxa yeah it's you know it just it strikes me i mean you you sort of walked us through at the beginning um, you know, all the different sort of causes behind the the decline mm-hmm. of the Puerto Rican sharp shinned hawk. And then obviously the big one is, you know, that had this dramatic effect, you know, within this very short period of time was the hurricane. Um, but it, it, I mean, it, it, it strikes me that a number of those things, I mean, uh, bot flies and, uh, you know, I, I, I think are maybe connected to this. And, you know, you mentioned that, um, you know, the, the, the bird species is a thrasher species. A pearly eyed thrasher. Yeah. yeah that yeah. is, uh, you know, a nest predator and mm-hmm. that, you know, the, their, their range is, is, is increasing mm-hmm. and going up. I mean, all this sounds like climate change impacts. It, it most likely is, but no one's, you know, it's really hard to put a, yeah, a handle on mm-hmm. that. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, as you know, working with, uh, biodiversity or wildlife, uh, there's usually certain impacts, but it, they sort of add together synergistically and really impact the species. Uh, and, you know, that's unfortunate uh, the way it is. Uh, you know, we as humans, we're going to try to save what we can as best as we can with our resources. Uh, but it, it, it's challenging because wildlife doesn't have a voice for itself. And, you know, we're trying to be the voice for wildlife. Mm-hmm. trying to protect it so or yeah. save it yeah. yeah yeah well maybe you can talk a little bit about you know what what like what your plans are and, and the plans of the peregrine fund sort of moving forward sure. and, and how you guys hope to you know protect the Puerto Rican how to, yeah. yeah well as i mentioned you know we're we're planning to do a sort of a hands-on management and uh our goal is to get some eggs uh of these pair that we found this past season uh, and hatch them in captivity and raise these young and then use those young as the uh, founder flock or release these young back into habitat that is being restored or areas that we've uh, suspect 
birds are no longer existing there, but the habitat seems to be okay. Uh, these birds need to be in sort of this higher elevation montane forest where they could maneuver through the trees. They, they don't do very well in just totally palm forests, the successional forests. So we've got to find areas around these palm air, air, you know, forests. Uh, and then, you know, the prey species. Obviously, the prey species were impacted too. And trying to uh, understand, you know, how to reforest and get the prey species back into the area too. Um, then, you know, that's our goal is to use either our experience with a captive propagation and then releasing birds back to the wild. Uh, so that's our whole focus. And this could be, you know, anywhere from a five to 20 year project, depending on how the forest, especially in Toro Negro comes back, because mm -hmm. that is the, was the breeding stronghold of, of this island form. Mm -hmm. So. That, that sounds, I mean, it, it, that strategy, it's, it sounds similar to, uh, you know, what, what you and the Peregrine Fund have been doing with, with Ridgeway's Hawks. Ridgeway's Hawks. And, you know, going back when the Peregrine Fund first started, we did it for Peregrine Falcons uh, because they had gone extinct east of the Mississippi. And the Mauritius Kestrel, which was down to four birds. And that's what we did with the Mauritius Kestrel, captive breeding, and released them back to the wild. A lot of people don't believe in captive breeding. Uh, fish and wildlife uh, is one of the sources that, you know, they don't think captive breeding is a very good uh, way of bringing a species back. But, you know, we've got to do what we can. And when you have very few numbers, uh, we don't want to lose the species. We, uh, you know, we want to uh preserve them uh, for the future generations and uh, for for us as humans for nature and biodiversity so well yeah and i mean the peregrine fund is in a unique situation as an organization given that it has had a number of you know successes yeah, exactly. recovering yeah. raptor species using captive yeah exactly yeah and you know we've got a big uh condor you know california condor propagation and uh, the condor situation is, it'll take a little more time to get a uh, handle on that. But, you know, we, we're learning, you know, how to get these birds back in the wild. It's just, you know, controlling certain aspects in their, uh, you know, population biology of, you know, so, yeah. So yeah. You, you mentioned that, uh, that you're, you're heading back. I, Rico, I, I'm actually heading back, uh, tomorrow All right. and we'll be there for a week. And hopefully get the first eggs pulled from a nest. So this first nest. And we got a, two other pairs that are about two to three weeks behind. We're hoping for more eggs. So mm -hmm. this will be the first, you know, first eggs collected uh, this coming week. So, and so you're, you're going to collect those eggs and then use them to, to do the, you know, this well, is the we'll first put, attempt to capture yeah, Exactly. Yeah. You know, uh, sharpshins have been bred in captivity, but uh, this has never been done with a uh this you know island the the puerto rican sharpshin hawk so it should everything should work okay so you know uh but it's it's all new yeah. uh, we've got the incubator set up uh and we're all ready to go mm -hmm. so yeah cool. yeah. Interesting. yeah um i i do want to give you know you the opportunity to talk about i mean so you know the peregrine fund is is um you guys are uh, have launched like a crowdsource Crowdsource funding. funding. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. And that was uh, based on our surveys that, uh, 
you know, we only came up with a, a certain number of pairs and birds and uh, it's, it's going fairly well. Uh, funding is, is in wildlife is probably one of the hardest things is to get funding for doing research or especially captive propagation is very difficult. Mm -hmm. And so this is, you know, uh, we're sort of a hands-on, uh, low cost, uh, uh, conservation, uh, uh, species restoration, uh, organization. So that's that, you know, crowdsourcing has been very important uh, mm -hmm. for uh, getting funds to us to to begin this project. So, and I mean, maybe you can just talk a little bit about, I mean, I, I'm curious, like what it was like, you know, so you, you spent, you know, this, all this time in Puerto Rico in January, mm -hmm. you know, you learned that there had been this unbelievably dramatic decline in the population um, after the, the hurricane came through. And you come back to sort of report those results oh, to yes. the rest of the folks here at the Peregrine Fund. I mean, I, I, I guess we're just wondering, like, what, were, what was that conversation like? I mean, you know, was there, uh, you know, because obviously, like, I, I don't know. I mean, just uh, I'm, I'm curious, like, what the reaction was. I mean, it's like, uh, oh, we have to do something about this right away. Yeah, well, that's that's what yeah. that was the reaction. Everyone yeah. said, well, you know, we're in the position to to try to save this bird, and so we've got to do it. Uh, let's 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 get on it this is what we do best yeah. is saving a species so mm -hmm. yeah no everybody was gung-ho mm -hmm. it was just where do we come up with the money right. <laughs> so right. the money's always the issue yeah yeah, yeah. awesome yeah. well i mean it's it, yeah it seems like that that campaign is it's, has been going really well so far yeah so far yeah we're yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. so there's people out there that our care and, and contribute exactly mm -hmm. yeah and that's that's great that's that's the good thing about you know humanity and humans you know mm -hmm. the the caring aspect mm -hmm. so yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah i wonder like you know uh so the the um i guess i just wonder like what level of awareness you know folks who live in Puerto Rico and maybe even the folks that live, you know, close by to these ecosystems mm -hmm. where the Puerto Rican reptile hawk lives, like what level of awareness they have, if any, of like this, you know, unique animal that Yeah, you know, uh the the Puerto Ricans that live the you know, up in the mountains where we are, are where the Puerto Rican sharpshin hawk is, some some of the older generation do know about the the bird, but a lot of your younger people aren't aware of it and when they find out how rare it is and how unique it is you know they're astonished so uh you know education is an important aspect of any uh conservation uh activities and efforts and so uh we're you know bringing uh the state government and the fish and wildlife you know fish and wildlife considered it uh not a unique uh subspecies and I think now they're finally on board. Hey, you know, we've got to do something too, because we had a recovery plan in 1997 for it, but nothing was done with it. And here we are almost losing this bird. And now we're in dire straits to try to save it. Yeah. So it's important to get the, the word out to people in Puerto Rico, you know, how unique it is yeah. and important it is. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's, you know, as I said, some people are aware, but in general, most people aren't aware of it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Is, is it, I, I imagine that it's more difficult even than, than usual 
to like make the case uh, that like it's really important to save this bird, given that it's in this sort of like intermediary zone, like it's not technically considered its own unique species. Yeah, and that's uh, that's always been the issue for it too. And you know, our our feeling is, you know, this thing is unique, and so it's important. To learn more about the Peregrine Fund's efforts to save the Puerto Rican shrimp shrimp hawk and how to contribute, you can find links on the show notes page at wildlandsinc.org slash ERC149. Today's episode was hosted by Matt Podolsky and produced by me, Catherine Dunning. Our theme music is by The Humidors.